0: So we've been uh, just kind of reviewing each week that this book was written by Paul to a church that he started. You can read that story in Acts chapter 16. Um, It was one of the first Greek cities or the first Greek city where the gospel went. And this church and Paul had a special relationship. They had a 10-year, at this point, relationship of uh, serving the Lord together, sharing the gospel together. Uh, This church had given to Paul's needs on multiple occasions and um, visited ha- had sent you know teams to visit him and encourage him. and so this was just a, a special partnership, a precious relationship. I hope that you have some of those in your life um, some not short term, some longer term relationships like that. I know as a church, you know we're rapidly approaching uh, kind of the one year mark of um, Gospel Hope church as the kind of handoff has happened. Um, so I know we're shorter term in some ways and Yet, God has long-term plans, I think, for his people together uh, here, there, or around the world. And so I hope that you have those. There's a special nature to that. This is, was written from prison, which is, um, it, it makes you chuckle a little bit because one of the themes is living with joy, uh, not necessarily something we would associate with prison. But I think that's, that's part of the heartbeat of this book of Philippians. And then pursuing Jesus together. Maybe no chapter in our Bibles um, hits that theme so much as the chapter we're in today, Philippians chapter three. So we looked at the first few chapters. Uh, chapter one, we looked at a joy-filled prayer, a prayer of partnership in the gospel, then a joy-filled view of life, um, seeing the gospel advance and knowing that uh, Christ, to live, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Paul, that's how Paul saw life. And then a joy-filled challenge, right, to this church that even though there were so many great things happening, there was room to grow. And does anybody remember when, when we boiled down a healthy church in the book of Philippians? A healthy church is experiencing two things that God, can, God only can give it. Does anybody remember what those were? It's a church filled with these two things. Go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Right? When we see the gospel working, we experience God's grace And then in chapter two, we saw as we have humility, contentment, unity together, we experience God's peace. And so as a church, those are things, you're like, I don't know what to pray for for our church. Just pray that God would fill us with his grace and his peace, right? And so that brings us to the couple guys we looked at last week. I got two guys, Paul said, uh, Paphroditus and Timothy. Uh, Timothy was an example of someone who shared the same interest as Jesus, And we talked about that. And then Epaphroditus, someone who endured through suffering. And so that brings us to chapter three. Let's read chapter three together and we'll make some observations. And hopefully we'll spur you to dig in some more on your own. Finally, my brothers. By the way, it's interesting. He says finally here and then he says essentially finally again in chapter four. You ever done that with someone that you're close to? Wrap up a conversation but you didn't actually wrap it up. Right? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Some of your Bibles will say we are the true circumcision. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. For someone who is just trying to impress the religious community, What a great connection. Isn't that great? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. i got a question for us as we start this morning. Where are you going? Where is your life going? Really, what Paul lays out for us here is the pursuit of his life, the chase of, of his life. When he wakes up each morning, what is his destination? What's his focus? It's pretty easy to get lost, isn't it? I'm directionally challenged. I don't know if any of you are directionally challenged. Anybody else directionally challenged? Please tell me I'm not alone. Great. That makes me feel a lot better. Um, the, and the Lord has been kind to me. Um, we were in Indiana for eight uh, Eight years. And in Indiana, all the roads are numbered, like they're numbered out here, except it has nothing to do with a temple up in the city. It has to do with miles. So based on how far you are from I-70 or a state road, you could tell if you were going on 450 north that you were um, like 4.5 miles from a place, and it was all east and west. So that was great. Um, And for someone who's directionally challenged, I love living in Salt Lake City because someone could tell me they're, you know, east, west, north, south, and I'm like, I kind of know where that is. It's pretty amazing, right? But it's easy to get lost. And in life, it's easy to get off track. It's easy to get our focus distracted. And what this chapter does for us is it reminds us of of where our focus ought to be. Isn't that what Paul boils us down to? in verse seven when he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. you know, even as a pastor at Gospel Hope Church, my life is not about Gospel Hope Church. Right? As an employee at Intermountain Christian School, my life is not about Intermountain Christian School. As a husband, which is a precious and and deeply meaningful relationship, my life doesn't begin and end with my marriage or my kids. There's actually a pursuit that is worth the entire investment of your life. So Paul starts this section with a warning, right? He says in verse 2, beware. He actually says it three times. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. You say, what in the world is that? In Paul's day, there were Judaizers who were teaching that on top of knowing Jesus, you had to keep the Old Testament law and you had to go through all um, all this external keeping of the law in order to really be in good standing with God. And Paul calls them three names here. He calls them dogs. The idea is that they were outcasts. He calls them evildoers, even though they claim to be doing something good, it was actually evil. And he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. Now that's an allusion to Old Testament circumcision. And what Paul's essentially saying is, um, if you teach another gospel, you're actually just having surgery. You're not actually anything legitimate. You're just mutilating the flesh. And so Paul's warning us, that in, our fo- in, in an attempt to follow Jesus, we can get off track. We can listen to the wrong people, and it's dangerous. That false religion, that twisting of who Jesus is, that twisting of what God requires and desires is actually not even remotely a good thing. It's evil. It should be avoided. And then he says, to be sure of your standing. Look at verse 3. For we are the true circumcision, not just Jewish people, but people who are genuinely following Jesus. And here's what that looks like. For we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Danny mentioned last week in in our community group notes that Mark 4 verse 20 is actually a great verse on the essence of following Jesus. Those who hear the word and accept it and do it are, are at, it, at the base what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Well, this is actually a great description as well of some core realities of what it means to follow Jesus. That what we came to do this morning is actually right in line with what it means to know Jesus. We worship together in the spirit of God. And then we glorify Jesus. We exalt him. Isn't it interesting That most of the world's religions that twist the truth, they demote Jesus. They uh, limit him in some way. They might call him a good prophet or a good teacher. They might accept some of what he says, but they twist who he is. They actually don't make it about Jesus in the truth. And then he says, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, this is where error goes. When it makes less of Jesus, it makes more of us. And true followers of Jesus say, actually, it's all about Jesus. There's nothing impressive that I bring to the table. Don't we need that reminder regularly? Because we are easily impressed with ourselves. We put confidence in ourselves. And Paul says, actually... A true follower of Jesus learns to put no confidence in the flesh. I love that picture even this morning of the seed. It's actually not about like how great a sower I am. It's, it's about God's word and about how it points people to Jesus and how it does work that none of us can do in and of ourselves. And so with those warnings, where was Paul going and where does he encourage us to go he go, he's going towards knowing Jesus fully. We read those verses in verses seven and eight. But in order for Paul to know Jesus fully, there was some stuff he had to let go of, wasn't there? What did Paul have to let go of or devalue to the point of saying it's basically like rubbish? What did he have to let go of in order to fully know and lean on, rely on Jesus. What are some things? Yeah, his own resume of doing good things. What else? Thank you, Steve. What? Okay, sure, his heritage and the the religious tradition he grew up in. What else? Okay, his keeping of the law ties into what Steve said. There were a bunch of things he had to release and not lean on so that he could know Jesus fully. But I think if most of us are honest, that list doesn't necessarily resonate with us. But what does it look like for us? What what are the things that we have to say those actually aren't as important as I might naturally make them? Okay, where where I live and where I'm born. Are there things about that that are valuable and precious and we cherish? Yeah. But if my closeness to God is connected to my being American, I'm missing it. What else? Okay. That's gonna tie right into something else we're about to touch on. Thank you, John, that's good. Our desire for comfort or safety. Okay, the way that things make sense to me naturally. Right? Not Proverbs. Don't lead on your own understanding. What else? Yeah, that's hard. Because we all have them. Opinions are like armpits. We all have them and they all stink. It's what you remember from today, right? That's what you remember. But they can get in the way, can't they? They can get in the way of relationships, they can get in the way of even how we they can affect as we read God's word. How we what we want it to say versus who Jesus really is. Anything else you can think of? Okay, so, so who, I, who I am naturally, or letting that define me? Can I pick on Eric? I mean, when I say can I, I'm going to. So that's usually where that goes. <laughs> right? Um, growing up in a Christian home. That's my heritage. So I must understand Jesus rightly. Or, or I must be a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. My heritage. Right? Paul, Paul harkens back to his heritage. My education. I went to Bible college, so I must have a right understanding of who Jesus is. Or I went to this certain college, or I sat under this preacher, or I listened to all those things that, that then I say, well, then I must fully know who Jesus is. And Paul says, I actually let those things go so that I can fully know Jesus. Isn't it sometimes even hard if you've been saved for a while? To, to open your Bible and read it without bias. To actually come to it and say, to, to pick up a, in, the, in the book of Mark that you might have read multiple times and say, God, just give me fresh eyes to see Jesus. And, and let that step on my toes. And let that correct my wrong thinking. And, and don't let me go, well, I'm definitely not like the scribes. Instead have me go, God, look at that. I looked in the mirror of God's word and it said, this is on your nose. Let's walk, let's walk through it. Let's address it. How much did Paul want to know Jesus? Look at verse nine. The end of verse eight. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What were some things about Jesus that Paul desired to know? He wanted to know him fully, but what are some specifics? I'll give you a hint, it's in the verses we just read. He wanted to know his pain. Hmm, okay, we'll come back to that. What else? I know this requires looking in your Bible, thinking about it. Okay, so he wanted to let some things go. What, Tim? You can say it out loud, even in the sound booth. Yeah, he wanted to experience and know God's power. The, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He want to know his power? He want to know his pain? What did he want to have? What did he know he needed to have? From Jesus. Okay. Eternal life. What, Julie? His righteousness. Right the righteousness that comes through faith, the righteousness you can't get on your own. Anything else? His righteousness, his power, his pain. is pain to what point? Death, even up to death. Look back at chapter one. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that sounds good, doesn't it? It's like a gift. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, have his righteousness by faith, but also suffer for his sake. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What does this look like? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You actually hear some similarity here of Paul's heritage. Look at uh, the end of verse 21. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Paul's speaking um, kind of, a, not obnoxiously, but just kind of mock in a mocking way. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. You should underline that one. Just read the book of Acts. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the sea, danger in the wilderness danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? In a sense, Paul asked for that, didn't he? That I might know Jesus, I might have his righteousness, I, might, I'm, I would know his power. By the way, isn't that where most of our prayers and desires end? I want Jesus' righteousness, and I want to know his power, the end. And Paul says, I, I want to know his pain. He wanted to experience and know Jesus at every level that he could. Do you? Do I? Go back to Philippians 3. Because I fight what John said. I want to have comfort, I want it to be easy. But what Paul says in chapter 1 is really true. It is a gift from God to suffer. It is a gift from God to endure hardship. Because you know Jesus more. Think about that. So I got a question. How do we help each other along the way to knowing Jesus? based upon this idea of setting aside things that we would normally count on and wanting to know Jesus fully, how do we help each other do that? Because these are cool verses to read or put on a plaque or a mantle that I might know him. But how do we actually help each other on this journey? Nick. Okay. Okay. So we're not trying to rescue each other, or or just bemoan the hard things that we're going through. We actually can encourage each other, prod each other. Okay. How will that help us to know Jesus more? Okay, so plug into each other's life and know what people are going through. How do we do this? Is there any confronting we need to do? Challenging we need to do? Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, "Wow, you get to suffer just like Jesus did," mm-hmm. you know we don't turn it that way. And just say, "This is how you know Him. Mm-hmm. You're getting to know Him better by suffering like this." We don't. We do not talk. To you. At least I don't talk like that. Yeah. Well, there's a difference, right, between bearing each other's burdens and just being a shoulder to cry on. There's actually a a. It's slight, but it's significant. right i'm getting to know him and hmm. in that he's making me more like him yeah in the suffering how do we do this so we, we don't steer away from suffering we don't make it about ourselves we help point to jesus what do we need to do in terms of righteousness for one another i didn't ask that well at all What does Paul say is actually of no value when it comes to righteousness? The flesh. Our own righteousness, our own self-efforts. Do we ever get impressed with our own self-efforts? Do we even brag to others about our own serving, our godliness, our sacrifice? We do! We do! Yeah, our pride, it just bubbles up, doesn't it? We actually need to do for one another this, like, stop thing. And point them back to Jesus and his righteousness. Or else we're, 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 reaffir- we're chasing the trash. That doesn't mean we don't encourage one another. It doesn't mean we don't cheer together, right? But when we sense in each other our, our tendency to brag on our own self-righteousness. We actually need to, we need to stop and stop each other. What does Paul say? He says, I'm stretching towards the goal. Right? So he's working towards fully knowing Jesus and he's running towards the future. This next section just kind of blows up that idea that Christians can reach a state of perfection Paul says, I haven't arrived. We ran a 5K um, in North Carolina a couple years ago. It was great because we were living in Colorado at 7,000 feet, and we went to North Carolina at sea level. We were doing, like, altitude training by where we lived. It was cool. So we went, except that I didn't have a jogging stroller, and I was pushing Tim in a, like, quasi-normal stroller. Not Awesome. <laughs> And Colleen was running ahead with her sister and they were destroying me, pushing Tim. I was running at sea level, but the course was set up interestingly. So you kind of come around the last, or near the last corner, and you'd run down this long straightaway, but off to your right you could see the finish line. So you had to kind of run, I don't know if I can, it's kind of like the finish line was where Steve is over there. If you didn't know Steve, he's all the way in the back corner. And so you were running like this, but you could see the end. And so you were running, and you go, okay, I got that right turn, and I'm through the finish line. You know, that's the sense I get from Paul here. I see it, the resurrection, being with Jesus. My citizenship is in heaven, and I'm running down here and turning for home. That's where we're going. But we need that reminder sometimes, don't we? Because this straightaway seems really long and dead-ended, but it's actually not. So where are you going? Have you listened to someone that's gotten you off course? are you actually running to know Jesus? And are you running towards his return? Towards your resurrection? Towards your real home where your citizenship lies? That's what Philippians 3 reminds us to strain towards, to lean towards. I think my last mile there was my fastest mile because I could see it. And if you've lost sight of it, just keep going back to God's word because it keeps pointing you there that Jesus is coming back and that heaven is our home and that a resurrection is coming that'll fix all this stuff. Where are we going? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it challenges us to know Jesus more. We all have imperfect knowledge of him. And we need to sense that our self-righteousness is not of value. That his righteousness is all that we need. And we need to be reminded of the power that he has. The power to take a seed and bring it to life and make it grow and bring it to harvest. And the pain that actually helps us to know Jesus more. Lord, some of us are in the midst of pain. And no, we're not persecuted. We're not being beaten like Paul was. But we're experiencing real pain. And Lord, would you you fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to know him more through the pain? And Lord, give us grace to strain for the finish line. None of us have arrived. There is much work to do, and much work to be done in and through us. So we pray that your grace would would drive us to the end. In Christ's name we pray.